You're listening to another great message from Northside Community Church. It's a funny time of year at the moment, isn't it? It's like a real in-between season, isn't it? Streets that streets that would ordinarily be packed during peak hour. We're driving through the tunnel at 5:30 p.m. on a Friday afternoon, and we managed to get to the other side of the city in five minutes. I mean, what is going on with this place? It's like a ghost town. Tumbleweed seems to just have appeared from Southern America and be blowing down our streets. The shops are calm. There's no, no mothers scrambling for the lift at Chatswood Chase. Uh, the shops are peaceful. This is what I call the threshold season. Uh, it's a new term I'm, I'm, I'm digging up, I'm sprouting out there. The threshold season. It's that in-between season, isn't it? That after all of the smell of the pine needles and the last remnants of the wrapping up paper have all been shoved into a giant glad bag and left out with the rubbish... We sit in between the times of Christmas and we look towards the new year, which is not quite here yet. And it's an interesting time of year, isn't it, as well? Because we've come from such an incredible season of celebration with family and what is what once was, just a few days ago, a season of incredible celebration. We now move to, I find in these threshold seasons, a season of contemplation that... We often take weekends like this and on the verge of the optimism of a new year, there's a realism for many of us. If we're, if we're real and we dig down deep, we can be realistic with ourselves that as we contemplate the year that has been in 2013, for many of us, in fact, dare I say all of us, the year hasn't panned out quite how we expected. I mean, for some there have been health issues that popped up unexpectedly. For others, there have been health issues that were expected to go that still haven't gone. For some, there was relationship crisis. For some, there was family crisis. I don't know, have you, have you had that sort of year? That, and I guess maybe it's just from my own perspective, for those of you who have known my story this year, maybe that's why I was so keen to preach this passage and this story, which I've known so well and wanted to preach it for so long. From my own perspective and for Kristen and I, 2013 was a year filled of incredible joys. But I've got to say, it's, it's been one of the toughest. It's been one of the most unexpected. It's been one of the hardest years uh, for our young family, because after issue, after issue, after issue, that just didn't seem to go away. Uh, the question kept popping up in my mind, and it's a question that I wanted to ask all of you this morning, and, and it's a question that this passage poses us. But it's the question that it says, look, what do we do as people of faith when in the midst of life's challenges, God doesn't seem to show up? What do we do when God seems to be unreasonably delayed? And so that's why we stand at the threshold, stand at the threshold during this season of unmet expectations of God. And where, where has he been in all this? And it was stand at the threshold of that and the promise of new and future hope, which we're going to look at next week, and the new and future hope of the new year. And so I guess there's no greater case study 
of unmet expectations when you come to Mark chapter 5 verses 21 through to 43. What we'll see in this case study is it's really a case study of God's unreasonable delays (laughs) and then the lessons that we can learn from those delays. God's unreasonable delays and then the lessons that we can learn. You see, if you understand the context of this story that Anne's just read, Verse 35 has to be one of the most gut-wrenching verses in the Bible. Verse 35 says, your daughter is dead. We missed it at the beginning of the reading from the slides because it's such a great big story. But the very beginning of this story is that we have this guy, Jairus, a religious man, the ruler of the synagogue. He comes to Jesus and he, verses 22 to 23, he falls down and he says, my daughter is gravely ill. In other words, my daughter is dying. She's on the verge of death. Jesus, will you please come? Will you please come and work one of those miracles that I've heard you doing in the countryside? Would you, would you heal her? Would you save her life? And Jesus says, yes, he agrees. And so Jairus and some others now are rushing to save the life of this little girl. And a large crowd hears what's going on and they're pressuring around him. And so in the middle of rushing to save this girl, Jesus feels the need to stop. He pulls a woman out from the crowd and he has this extended conversation with her. And so now as Jesus is chatting away with the woman, look at what happens in verse 35. It says here, while Jesus was still speaking, some men came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler, and they said this, your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? If you understand this context, you'll see how perplexing and eventually gut-wrenching this scene is. Can't you, can you imagine the scene? He, he, he finally gets a hold of Jesus, the miracle worker. He knows there's nothing he can do to save his little girl, his little princess. And, and they, they are rushing, they're rushing down. They're, they're literally, can you imagine, they're in the back of the ambulance. And, and, and Jairus is driving with the boys from his house and they're driving behind the flashing lights of the ambulance and there is hope in his heart because Jesus, the, uh, Jesus, the one that he's heard about, is on the way to save his daughter and the lights are flashing and the sirens are going off and a crowd is following now because they know that this guy can heal and they know that there's going to be a miracle here and as, as they're getting closer to the house, the ambulance starts to detour. And Jairus is going, no, 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 no. My house is that way. My house is that way. What are you, what are you doing, Jesus? And he stops the ambulance. And he stops the truck and he has a long conversation. And whilst doing so, the words that that father dreaded get relayed to him. And they say, your little princess is dead. Let's go home. Now, when we read this story on face value in the context, we say, what is with that? What is with that? I mean, have, have you ever felt like that? Have you, have you ever felt those moments in which there is an acute emergency in your life? There is an acute crisis in your life. You think God is about to move. And the last minute, he's nowhere to be seen. You think he's, he's, he's healing everyone else's problems in the world, but he's not dealing with mine at the moment. And mine's the big one. What do we do with that? Here's what I've come to discover studying this passage and the Bible for that matter. God always seems to operate on a time frame that we consider questionable. 
right? In fact, Jesus says that if you want to come to me, you'll always find that I'm operating like this. Look at what he says in verse 35 in response to the guys coming in, in and saying this girl is dead. He says, no, she's not. Don't, don't get razzled. Don't get, don't get flabbergasted by what looks like a questionable delay to your expectations, says Jesus. He, he says, who's running the show here? And the Bible says this is the normal way that God's grace operates. This is how God always operates. But there's an also an answer of hope to that because this story is interweaved with reasons and perspectives in this case study this morning that if you take this on board this morning, could make it possible for you to deal with God's delays in a way that won't make you bitter, but in a way where God's delays will make you great. Would you like that? Would you like that? If, if that's the case, what do we learn then from this case study? If he operates on questionable delays, what are the lessons to be learned? Here's the first lesson. First lesson we learn is the priorities of Jesus. We learn about his priorities. Whenever you see two stories like this, and they are two stories, right, of Jairus and the woman. Whenever you see two stories in the Bible, the writer is setting them up to do a compare and contrast exercise. Yeah, we all did that in year five. Compare and contrast the following stories. And of course, uh, what is it? Luke 7 with uh, the Pharisee and the sinful woman, right? There's a story that's set up and intertwines these two stories so you can compare and contrast. And so when you see this, you've got to look at the two people. And here we have Jairus. He is a male in a society where men had all the power. He's a synagogue ruler, so he's a holy man. He's a religious man. As a result, we know that he's certainly rich because those guys were the rich ones as well. And so he's on top of the social food chain. So we have a male with all the power, holy man, certainly rich, top of the food chain. The lady, on the other hand, she's a female. She's uh, bleeding constantly, so she's ceremonially unclean. She can't even get into the synagogue. <laughs> she's, she's done all her dough in trying to fix the medical problem. Don't we know that so well in the modern day society? No Medicare back then. <laughs> She's certainly poor. She's at the bottom of the food chain. And yet Jesus takes the time to teach an unclean woman on the outskirts of society with a problem that can be fixed when he comes back from Jairus' house, by the way. He can fix this when it comes back. She's been like that for 12 years, remember. He, he chooses to teach her and talk with her over a religious male, holy man from the upper echelons of society. What's he teaching us about his priorities? <laughs> Over and over and over and over again, when you see Jesus in the New Testament scriptures and the stories of him, you will always see him gravitating to the bad person over the good person, to the immoral over the moral person, to the irreligious over the religious person, over the unimportant over the important person. Jesus is always gravitating to these types and here's why. Because Jesus is always looking to show us that God's priorities are opposed to the priorities of the world around us because he's a God of grace. I mean, could you imagine what Jesus would have been teaching us if he sees and feels this woman with the issue touching him? He sees the problem and he stomps over the top of her head to get to a rich religious man's house as a priority. Can you imagine what that would teach us from a scriptural point of view about the nature of our God? The lesson was too important for him to miss. And I guess you're asking, 
what does a God of grace have anything to do with the unmet expectations that I've had of God this year? (laughs) What's grace got to do with it? And here's my question for you. Could it be possible? Could it be possible that his delays in your life this year are there to teach you about his grace? Here's what I mean. Uh, Delays do and they ought to cause a sense of anger in you. I I mean, for for Jesus, the the delays caused a sense of anger. Remember with his BFF, that's our best friend for those over the age of 15. Uh, Remember Jesus' best friend, Lazarus, and Jesus gets there three days late, opens up the smelly tomb. And Lazarus is really dead. And it says that Jesus was, Jesus was angry. The words under, underlying it was the sort of noise that a horse makes when it's angry. <laughs> Jesus wasn't just sad at death. He was angry at God's delay. Now, if, if Jesus is like that, then, okay, delays do and they ought to. We all know create a sense of anger and frustration with us when God doesn't show up in time. But when God's delay infects the soul, then we know that we've got an underlying problem. You say infects the soul. What are you going on about? It's like when you get a splinter, right? You know, you get those annoying splinters in your finger and it turns up three days later. The only, no, the only way that you know that you've got a splinter in there is the, all the swelling and the redness and the pus. Right? It tells you that a foreign object is present where it shouldn't be on the inside. Guys, are, are, are God's delays in your life this year causing a swelling of bitterness? Is it causing the pussiness of anger in your life? If so, then they are the signs that you could have a soul splinter. And that splinter that the Bible talks about is self-righteousness. Now, before I lose you for a second, we talk about self, how can you talk about self-righteousness in such a tough topic? Look, um, look before I lose you, I, I've, I've, I've been there. I recognize that these times are painful for each and every one of us. And it's hard enough when you're having a tough year with God. But here's the thing to recognize, so what we've got to recognize is that self-righteousness is not saying that you're a bad person. To talk about self-righteousness is just to recognize those times in our life when we have the underlying attitude that God owes me. You see, self-righteousness says secretly says, I worked hard, I prayed hard. In fact, I prayed every day. I attended church. I was a good person. I read my Bible. I did my time. Lord, why is this happening to me? <laughs> you see, self-righteousness says, I did all the God stuff. Why is, why is this bad thing happening to me at the moment? And self-righteousness says, God, you owe me. You owe me because of all the things that I'm doing. And as a result, here's the problem. Any delay by God in your life, it doesn't grow you. It infects you. The redness, the swelling, the pussiness. Because a foreign object has entered your soul. Can you see the need to learn from his grace this morning? His delays may very well be the way that he's teaching you that it's okay. I'm the one in control. I'm the God of the universe. I'm the one who holds our solar system around my little pinky. (laughs) 
That's his grace. Now, you're saying, yes, but that's not helping me. You see, that's the priorities of Jesus. He's talking about grace. The second thing we learn is the perspective of Jesus. Let's go back to the story again, the two stories, Jairus versus the woman. Look at their predicaments. His, his need is acute. His need is this has to be fixed. She is going to die in a matter of hours. We've got to get the ambulance there. This is, this is a big issue. Her issue is chronic. It's been happening for 12 years. It's uncomfortable. It's, it's, it's sapped of all, all her money, but it can get fixed later. And yet Jesus stops to talk to the woman. What is with that? You see, it gives, it gives us insight into the perspective of Jesus. It's the same perspective from a few verses earlier. Remember that famous story of the boys on the boat? And they're out in the middle of the storm. And all the disciples are there and the storm starts to whip up and they're all terrified. And he's sleeping and they, they scream at Jesus, don't you care if we perish? And you know what they're saying? What they're saying here is they're saying, Jesus, if you really loved us, we wouldn't be going through the storms. That's what they're saying to him. If you really loved us, there would be no tragedy in life right now. And gets up, rubs the eyes, peace, be still. And the storm finishes. <laughs> What Jesus says in that is he, and he says to you this morning, I think he, he looks over the top of the story and he looks at each and every one of you this morning. He says, look, he says, my love is totally compatible with your tragedies. And here's why, back to Jairus' situation. He says, Jairus, my love is totally compatible with the tragedy that you're feeling today because, mate... She's just sleeping. And what do the rest of the boys do? All the disciples, they laugh. Don't you love a whole bunch of followers that just laugh at the, the wise teacher? They laugh at him. <laughs> they laugh because their perspective is she's done and dead. <laughs> she's kaput. She's over and done with. Uh, that's their perspective. Our perspective is that death is horrible and death is ugly and death is irreversible. And you know what his perspective is? Death's a power nap. Death is a power nap to this guy. And he says that she's just sleeping. Jesus' perspective is this this morning. He's looking at the only real storm that can sink you, death. And he says, I'm going to tackle that head on. I'm, I'm going to that. I'm going to, I'm going to eat that for breakfast. And, and, and when you see that, he says, so this, the storms in your life at the moment that feel so big, uh, they're, they're just small in comparison. They feel big to you at the moment, but they're just they're small. And by the way, he says, I'm here with you in the middle of them. He says, if you understand what I've done for you, you won't get so bent out of shape by life's troubles because I've overcome the ultimate trouble, death itself. And so verse 35 to 37, that wonderful verse, while Jesus was speaking, the boys come in, your daughter is dead, they say. Why bother the teacher anymore? Ignoring what they said. Jesus told the synagogue ruler, don't be afraid, just believe. Just believe. Sounds a bit cliche, doesn't it? But here's, here's what Jesus is really saying to you and to I this morning. He's saying, I will always give you what you would have asked me for if you knew what I knew at the time. I'll always give, I'll always give you what you would have asked for if you knew what I knew at the time, that's the perspective of Jesus. She's just sleeping. It's a power nap. So finally, the priorities, the perspectives, 
But then we see the power of Jesus. Verse 41, Mark says here that Jesus heals her in a particular way. Let's look at what it says. Verse 41, he took her by the hand, comes down, takes her by the hand. And he says to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. Now, unfortunately, the translation here doesn't really give you the gist of what it's actually saying. Let, let me explain. Firstly, the word Talitha. Uh, it's an Aramaic word. What's really funny is it's, uh, Mark's writing to, to in the Greek language and he, trans, he includes an Aramaic word there. And so he has to translate it out. And that's why our Bible has the brackets. And so he uses this specific phrase and to translate it, we get the word little girl. Uh, but it's not quite there because little girl, the way that we would say little girl is, yeah, imagine that a little girl's lost in the street and she's a total stranger. And what would you say? You would walk up to her and you'd say, uh, where's mummy and daddy, little girl? Right? That's, that's the English version of the little girl. But that's not quite what the translation is saying here. Because in the society that Jesus was in at the time, that Aramaic phrase, that was actually, that was actually a, a pet name. So the better translation would be that Jesus gets down and he takes her by the hand and he says, Honey, sweetie, sugar. It, it's the sort of phrase that a mum would say to her little precious princess as she stroked her head. And then secondly, we look at the word kum. And when Jesus says get up, he's not saying... Be resurrected. He doesn't walk in and say, Arise. He's, he's, he's saying, Wake up. And so here's, here's the picture. Is that he, he, he walks in and he gets down where his mummy, where mummy would have sat. He gets down beside her bed and he sort of he, he strokes he strokes her hair and he and he whispers to her, "Honey, it's time to get up. It's time to get up." What does it show us? Look at his power. Look at his power. You know, Luke, the doctor, when he relays uh, the the story, one of the disciples, he said she was dead. There, there was there was no there, she was gone. She was totally gone, and yet there was no hype, there was no hocus pocus, there was no incantations, there was no um, there was no praying and pleading with God. There was no name it and claim it. There was just the effective gentleness of this outstanding God. And he simply reaches into the depths of what you and I find the most horrific and ugly thing to the human being. The thing that you and I are absolutely powerless to. And he comes down and he says, Ups a daisy. Who does that? <laughs> Who can do that? Look at the power. He may be delayed according to your expectations this morning. But if you have this man in your life, death to him is just ups-a-daisy. That's, that's the power. But look at the tenderness. Look at the tenderness. Honey, time to get up. Time to get up. You're just sleeping. Here's, here's the hand of 
of your real daddy. Here's the hand of your ultimate daddy. Here's the hand of a daddy that's never going to hurt you, sweetie. Here's here's the hand of a daddy that's never going to fail you. How does he do this? We've already seen that he's a God of grace. He's just spent the whole time talking to the bleeding woman before he got to this point. He's a God of grace. And he's the God of grace for you this morning who takes you by the hand through the power nap that is death. And no matter where you're from and no matter what you've done, he takes you to be with the ultimate father. How, how can he do that? He can do that because when, when he went to the cross, when, when he cried out to his daddy, there was no hand. There was no stroke of the head. There was no, honey, time to get up. He took the punishment. He took the blame for each and every moment of us. So no one in this place this morning need wake from our moment of need and not find him there with us. How can you rush a God like that? He knows. He, he knows what he's doing. But he also knows you. And so he says, don't rush me. I will not be hurried. So let me ask you this morning. Are you trying to hurry God now? If so, whose agenda is it? Is it your agenda or is it his agenda? Jesus is saying to everyone in the room this morning, wake up, honey. It's time to get up. And if you look at Jesus in this case study, he refused to be hurried. And guess what? The whole point of Christianity is this, that when you realize that Jesus never need hurry, when you realize why Jesus never need hurry, you will see that the real storms that have been dealt with and have been becalmed in your life and with him on the cross. And when you realize that he need not hurry, then you can stop hurrying yourself. May we, may we simply, as we wrap up this year, Have the power and the perspective to rejoice in his questionable delays in our life. And when we do, he, through the power of the Holy Spirit, is going to help turn us into people that don't become better, but who grow and are stronger because of his unquestionable delays, because he didn't quite meet our expectations. Let's pray.